welcome to episode 189 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to recalibrate the warp core. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about games that beep and boop. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Illiterati and Artisans of Splendid Vale. Then, we talk about games that include electronic components. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that next week, if you are listening to this on the day it releases, or the week it releases, I suppose, the Tabletop Live Network and us, we will be taking part in a Extra Life Marathon. This is to celebrate Tabletop Appreciation Weekend, and it is the formal kickoff of Extra Life's fundraising season. We have partnered directly with Extra Life, like we are working with them behind the scenes, and this is going to be an amazing weekend of fundraising. It's going to be August 18th, 19th, and 20th. We're going to have a whole bunch of streamers doing a whole bunch of awesome things. The kickoff party is going to be August 18th in the evening North American time zones. So stay tuned to social media and uh, tabletoplivenetwork.com for more details and information as they become available. Recently, I got a review copy of Illiterati, which is a cooperative word game published in 2023 by Gap Closer Games, designed by Gary Alaka, Rob Chu, and John Kang, and art by Audrey Jung. So Illiterati is a cooperative word game. The theme is that there are these like Illiterati, which is an evil organization that's trying to like prevent people from being able to read, and you're a member of the League of Librarians to save the books. And so the way you play is there's a bunch of letter tiles in a bag and you're drawing them out and trying to make words. And each round is there's a real time round of three minutes where you're all making words and you can like trade tiles with other people and stuff. So it's all communal tiles kind of. But at the end, depending on what mode you're playing, there's only a certain number of letters that can be unused in the library, either three, two or one or zero or something, (laughs) depending on like the difficulty. So you're trying to make complete words that are three or more letters long. And then you're also trying to make words that fulfill a certain condition. So each person has a little book card that has a condition, like you have to have at least eight letters and at least three of this symbol, because each letter has some, some of the letters have different symbols on them. And then it has to all be related to food or something. So you're trying to make words that are in the category of food and you can do multiple words. It doesn't have to be one eight letter word. It could be like a five letter word and a three letter word or something, but you just need at least eight letters making food things. And then you this fulfill your book. difficult. <laughs> yes, it is difficult kind of. Um, but actually it's not too difficult because I've won every game. So I played three times and won every time. Although I played on the easy or like the normal mode kind of. So I played at five players, one player and two players. Uh, I think it might be best at three or four. <laughs> <laughs> the, the player counts you did not explore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so like when I played it solo and at two players, it seemed like there were too few letters for a variety. You can like redraw once per round. Oh, oh, and I forgot to mention between rounds, there's the illiterati phase. So that's when the villain cards come out. So they have villain cards that do different things. Like if you have a four letter word, then you have to discard two letters or something. The thing is like each round you're getting new letters, but you keep the ones that you already had unless you made your book. So if you made your book, you turn in those letters and then you get a new book to complete. But if you didn't make your book, then you keep those letters because you're like working for the words. So you kind of have some of the words in the book done theoretically, or, or you just don't have anything done yet. <laughs> but, but you get more letters the next round, which can be good and bad because you have more letters to work with 
to make words that you want to make, but you also have more letters that you have to make because you can't have that many letters that are unused. So um, actually for us, a lot of the times the villains actually helped us by getting rid of some of our letters. Like oh. it, it did mess up our words. Like if we had something almost complete, it messed up our words, but then it's like, okay, but we don't have too many letters now because you have like a limit on how many words you can make and it was getting kind of hard. So then they like get rid of the word and like, okay, thank you. Thank you, literati. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, with one and two players, it was a little few letters, but then five was a little too hectic, I think. So I think three or four would have more letters but then also like more collab and stuff because with, with solo there's no like collab back and forth yeah good um, good balance of enough yeah. variety in letter yeah. selection but also less chaos mm-hmm. so i think yeah it's probably best at three or four i think on well there's not that many votes on board game geek but people say it's best at three on board game geek out of the few votes that it has but yeah, so so I enjoyed it some. It was kind of complicated. And then the villains, <laughs> I, I don't know if they're supposed to be helpful like they were. We did play the easy mode, so I think, or the normal mode. So I think like the harder modes, it's also a longer game. And so you're like doing more rounds. And so you're just like getting more letters each time. And, and that might get more hectic and harder. But I didn't play a full game of a longer, of a harder difficulty. So I just played like the normal difficulty, which was you each have to do two books and then a final book that everyone has to do at the same time. So yeah, I enjoyed that part. I thought it was like a little complicated for the type of game that I wanted to play with a word game because like doing the different books, some some of the books were unbalanced. <laughs> like some of the books were easier to come up with words in the category than others. Like some categories were pretty hard <laughs> and or like not as fun to come up with words. Like I had, well, words that rhyme, that was okay. Or like words that have the same starting letter and ending letter, that one was pretty hard. Uh, and then some, some categories were just kind of weird or like hard to come up with. So some of the book categories I didn't like as much as others. So are the books, book category things dealt out randomly to players? Yeah, those are just drawn randomly. Yeah. Oh, okay. So because I wonder if like you were playing with like a family, you know, with maybe older kids, obviously, mm-hmm. who can spell well. I wonder if you could like, instead of dealing them out randomly, you could give like the harder boards to mom and dad and give a couple oh. of the easier ones to the kids or something. Yeah, you like, could probably house rule it. I think yeah. there was also, I don't remember, There, I think there were also like some variants for easier for like younger kids i didn't play that one though and i don't remember what it said in the rules but yeah there were there were different variants for younger kids like that but yeah so i did like building the words but then sometimes especially like when we played two player sometimes one of us would like finish our thing our words really quickly and then the other person would just be stuck and like so we're just like trying to help them but then it's kind of hard to help the other person because they're moving around the word the letters so that was kind of awkward I guess and maybe that's just because it's just two players with more players there's like more things to look at and help with if you have like your book stuff done you can it might be easier to help other people so probably three players or four players would be good five players was pretty fun but yeah it was just so so hectic at five players but yeah that, that's illiterati the game that i'm actually going to review today i it's a follow-up because i did a preliminary review of artisans of splendent veil a number of mm. episodes ago like quite a while ago now i started mm-hmm. playing the game back in january and we are recording this right at the beginning of august and i have now completed the entire game So the campaign is done. I technically could play it a tiny bit more if I wanted. I'll explain more about that in a moment. But just as a very brief reminder of how Artisans of Splendid Vale works, it is a game designed by Nikki Valens and published by Renegade Game Studios. 
This game is played kind of primarily in two different ways throughout the course of the game. Every player has a book for their character that has a lot of written passages in it. And for a good portion of the game, you will be reading out of your respective character books back and forth and going to different entries, kind of like you would in a choose your own adventure game. And the books also contain small maps for areas that you will be exploring throughout the world. And you actually have to look at the maps in your book and look at the numbers and find new entries that way. The rest of the game is played through action scenes, which take place on a board that is in a big flip book style book that has a lot of different action scenes in it. And those are where bad guys come out and you've got your meeples for the good guys and you fight generally or have a goal that you need to accomplish. And once the action scene concludes, then you move back into the books. So this is a very text and narrative heavy game, which you know that going in, that's not a surprise. (laughs) And I can say having played through now the entire campaign, it is an absolute delight. I have some little issues with it here and there. There were some typos in the text, which I think when you have a game that is this text heavy, that's nearly impossible to avoid. And there were some mistakes as well, which are a little more problematic. Some of the action scenes were missing text. Some of the book entries were also missing text. This is not pretty rare. That was not super common in most of the things we encountered. And the designer, Nikki, has been responding very diligently to people on the Board Game Geek forum. Whenever they have a question, Nikki answers and somebody was compiling kind of a FAQ errata list for people going in. So I would say if you do pick up this game, that might be a good thing to glance at up front to see if, you know, you need to adjust anything. But for the most part, it didn't really affect our experience. I just wanted to mention it. The other thing that got that was a little bit annoying was throughout the course of the campaign, the action scenes got progressively longer and longer. I appreciate a game that, you know, starts off quick and easy. Obviously your characters are less powerful and less able to do things. And so as the game progresses and you get stronger, you know, harder enemies are going to take longer to fight. So that does make sense. But some of the action scenes toward the end of the campaign were really long. Like there were days where we were like in the middle of an action scene and we'd be like, okay, we're taking a break. (laughs) Some of them would take us like two or three hours to get through. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, we were playing two players, and if we were playing with a different player count, that might have differed because the number of enemies that spawn in certain action scenes vary depending on your player count. Also, the four main characters that can be played in this game are all very unique and different. And since we were only playing two player, we only had two of the characters' books in play. The game does a really good job of making sure that that doesn't lock certain abilities behind a wall for you. Basically, all of the characters have very cool and unique things that they can do. And you will not see certain things as a result of not playing with all four characters. But like, if there's a special ability that can like enhance a weapon, for instance, and only one character has the ability to do that innately, there is a card that you can experience in the game that gets put into something called your interlude deck. And when that card gets pulled, your character can go, quote unquote, visit that other character that's not in the game. And you can do that thing anyway. So you're not missing out on important things. You just miss out on like more like flavor text and other things like that for the most part. But I would say that like after some time, 
time has passed if I played this with the other two characters, I think it would be a pretty different experience. Mm -hmm. Overall, honestly, I loved it. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. It's a pretty magical game. It is more diverse in the characters that are included in this game than just about any other board game I've ever seen. Nikki is a wonderful champion for diversity in gaming, and I can't sing its praises enough, even with the little mistakes. If you like a really strong narrative and you want to go on an adventure and you want that adventure to be like cute as heck, <laughs> this is the one for you. Literally like birds are called burbs in the in the game, like B-I-R-B-S. Like that, <laughs> my, my partner was like, wait, did you say burbs or does the book say burbs? And I was like, oh, the book says burbs. <laughs> Wow. That's the you get you get some cute stuff in there. This is only certain character specific, obviously, but I loved it. So I wanted to follow it up. I, I would recommend this to anybody who likes that style of game. So then, Ambie, I wanted to do a quick follow up to a review that you did just mm -hmm. in our last episode. You reviewed Challengers and I said I was interested in it. Mm -hmm. Well, I have now played Challengers on Board Game Arena. Uh -huh. I'm obsessed. Like, oh, really? Yeah. I heard it wasn't that great on Board Game Arena, but... I, I don't know. It's one of those occasions where it's kind of hard to fully understand why I love it as much as I uh -huh. do. Because I went in really like... I was like, oh, I think I might like this a little bit. But I didn't have mm -hmm. high expectations. And I'm obsessed with it. I want to play it all the time. <laughs> I wow. I don't care if I have to play against the robot. Like uh, in the Blitz Discord, like we had seven people the other night. We played Challengers. The, then the next night we had five people we played challengers i was wow. like yes please i want to play challengers all the time right now so it is relatively simplistic i think it kind mm. of appeals to my i don't really enjoy deck builders for the most part but i like thin or like small deck deck builders mm -hmm. you know where yeah. you don't have to manage a large amount of cards and this definitely fits yeah. in that wheelhouse and my partner also pointed out that this is actually kind of it's similar mechanically to marvel snap the app that i was obsessed with a few months ago it's actually a little simpler than that but he said that that might be a reason i like it too and i, was, I said that seemed valid so <laughs> i just wanted to say to anybody who was seeing challengers win awards and being like why did it win an award it's just war it isn't just war and you should play it because it's fun <laughs> how have we never done an episode about games with electronic components well, we've done like digital games and we've mentioned games with electronic components in passing a lot of times, I think, with some of our That's other true. episodes. We've done games that have apps, yeah. which I, yeah. for the record, am mostly excluding from this episode. Mm -hmm. There, I have a couple of ones that I flip through the cracks for specific reasons. But <laughs> if a game is just a board and an app and has no other electronic components, it does not count for me for this list. Yeah, I was thinking of games that have the electronic component in in the board game because like an, yeah. an app is like you're bringing the electronic component yes. but I was thinking like I'm just trying to think what games have I had that like I need to put batteries in it <laughs> right yeah. yeah but that like terrifying moment when you take it like this is more of the 90s but where, when you take <laughs> yeah. a game off the shelf and you open up the little trap door and the battery acid is leaked out and you've got mm -hmm. that white crusty stuff and you're like no <laughs> 
Yeah. I, you, you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, like the games I could think of were mostly games from my childhood or like current children's games maybe. But one that my parents recently brought out of the attic to play with my kids when we were there was Mr. Bucket, <laughs> which is a children's game. It's a bucket that like moves around on the floor and spits out balls and you're trying to scoop them up and put them back in the bucket. You're like, you have your certain color. So you're scooping up with a little shovel and trying to put it in the bucket and then the bucket's like moving around and spitting out balls and spinning. I remember seeing commercials for that game. I don't think I ever <laughs> owned it, but like, does it end? How do you win? I think when you get all of your color in, like you press it or I don't remember how you stop it, but like oh, okay. you do something and then it, it'll stop it. Because guaranteed, like I would yeah. drop a ball in and he would probably spit one back out of my color. Yeah. Like that seems yeah, like yeah. it. That, that happened a lot, I remember. And I, if you play on like a tile floor, it goes very far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's fun. Yeah, I think it seems like board games kind of follow a similar progression to video games, but just on a different timetable. Because video games, you know, have kind of gotten more sophisticated over time. Like you mm -hmm. you move from, you know, basic PC text-based games to graphics and console games. And mm -hmm. then like now we're seeing like VR, like mm -hmm. literally like people can go to a place and put on a haptic suit and do like VR <laughs> yeah. games now. And board games started off really just as cardboard and paper. And that was pretty much it. But if we go way back, you know, stone carvings, basically. <laughs> and then the 90s was when electronic components really hit their heyday mm -hmm. for the board game industry. And it seemed like everybody was figuring out any way they could to include some kind of electronic component in their games. Mm -hmm. You, and you like a lot of those. <laughs> I love those games. They tend to be some of my favorites. I, I played a lot of them when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Mall Madness I still own. Mm -hmm. Omega Virus we've talked about endlessly I still own. Yeah. I don't own a copy of Electronic Dream Phone, but I want a copy of it. And I don't want one of the like newer editions. I want the original mm -hmm. edition with the giant pink phone. I'm not quite sure why I was so smitten with those games. You know, is it the same reason that kids today are drawn to a cell phone? Is it just fun and exciting and different? <laughs> like, I don't know. Because I also was a they, big they reader as a noises. kid. Like, I loved to read. Yeah. But yeah, if you put a fun board game in front of me that made noise or moved, I was all in right away. <laughs> Sometimes they're scary, though. Like, Operation is like a classic one that had electronic components. But like, touching the metal <laughs> would always scare me. Because it like, yes. the, the Yeah, the buzz noise. <laughs> They did a really good job of making it like not so loud to be obtrusive, but loud enough to startle you every yeah. time. Yeah. And so I, I don't think I liked playing Operation as a kid because <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I like playing it now, but <laughs> but yeah, but because of that. And uh, another game that also startled me is Perfection. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say, yeah, Perfection was <laughs> the most stressful game as a child. It's really hard as a kid. It's still hard like, to do it now. Yeah. Yeah, because any task is made harder by when, putting when a, time a time limit, limit on it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the task is. It can be the easiest thing in the world. If you get a, put a time limit on it, it's harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the 90s is kind of the heyday of electronic mm -hmm. games. I mentioned a, a few already. And there were some other like party games that also started including mm -hmm. electronic components like Taboo and Catchphrase, things like oh, that. Catchphrase, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I used to play that a lot. You know, there were a lot of kids games that also included mm -hmm. basic components like don't wake daddy or crocodile dentist, things like that. Mm -hmm. 
But nowadays, for, for the record, like app supported and assisted games definitely seem to be kind of more where the industry is moving. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean there aren't games with electronic components separate from apps in them. They're just, yeah. I don't think there are as many. And I will admit, I'm still very drawn to them. I think mm-hmm. it may be gimmicky, but I love the novelty of it. And I love how unique they are. Yeah, and then I also like that they don't need the phone because like app ones need your phone and stuff. But then the electronic ones, it's all contained within the box, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, board game night, sometimes we're trying to get away from our phones, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So some modern games that include electronic components. Return to Dark Tower is a really good example of this. And I would say probably one of the best modern examples because mm-hmm. it is freaking magical. Admittedly, there is an app involved with that one as well. But I'm giving it a pass because the tower on its own does so many things and is very cool. Mm-hmm. You've got Drop Mix also uses an app, <laughs> but very cool not app Mm. flying sushi kitchen which i still okay wait hold on have i never told you about this game i'm not sure i don't think so oh ambi how have i not told you about flying sushi kitchen so it's a game where there's these plastic stalks of bamboo sticking out of the board and they Mm -hmm. blow a a little bit of air out of the top of them and you have these little foam balls that look like sushi and the Mm -hmm. they float above those bamboo stalks so they're Literally floating in midair. Oh, okay. Like, and you have to grab them with chopsticks. Oh, wait, maybe you've talked about it before? I think I, I have. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, it, it's fully ridiculous. This is like, it very much feels like a game from the 90s, even though I don't <laughs> think it is. And I love yeah, it. 2018. <laughs> yeah. I bought it super cheap one day when mm. I stumbled across it. And I do not regret that at all. You and I both really love Hey Yo from Mm. Oink Games, which has a little, like a (laughs) tiny little electronic device that provides the beat needed to play that game. Unfortunately, mine is kind of breaking. Uh, I don't know (gasps) if it needs new batteries or... (laughs) Because my kids were playing around with it a lot and they would like drop it. So... (laughs) Oh yeah, so, that'll that'll yeah. Uh, that'll it do it. It still works. It still works if they don't like hit it or anything. <laughs> yeah. Another modern game that included electronics was Forbidden Sky, which was part mm. of the Forbidden Island series of games. I've, I haven't played Forbidden Sky. Most people, it seemed like from the rumblings I heard, were that it wasn't necessarily the best game in the series, mm-hmm. but they enjoyed mouse trapping it, where <laughs> yeah. you just build it to build it and see like the thing light up at the end which totally sounds like something I would do also I played it once and I think it didn't work that well like the electronic part didn't work that well in in the copy we played it was a library copy from a convention but yeah that's could be a problem with electronic games is when the electronic components don't work as well right I guess in a game like Forbidden Sky I imagine you could still very much play the game yeah but you don't get like cool light up thing (laughs) right but like with Flying Sushi Kitchen if that thing stops blowing air the game is now literally unplayable it's not you know there's no options there and i think Mm -hmm. obviously mechanical or moving parts have a lot more room for failure and breakdown than Mm -hmm. a folding cardboard board and some wooden (laughs) meeples and they're also more expensive to produce so Mm -hmm. i I understand why these games aren't as common anymore but i kind of wish they were i i really (laughs) i i like them and i i think they they add a really neat nostalgic appeal to certain games yeah i think they're more common in kids 
kids games still. Like I just got, or I recently got Pika Mouse at, at our KublaCon. They gave it out for free to kids and it came, comes with a flashlight. I haven't been able to use it yet though because like the, I guess the batteries that it came with are dead or something because it doesn't work. Oh no. And then the batteries are like a battery that I don't have. It's like a, one of those. Oh, is it one of those button flat- batteries? The like flat circle ones? Yeah, but they're like little oh. ones. So it's not ones that I have. And so I'm like, I don't know if I want to like, get the batteries. <laughs> those batteries are the most annoying thing in the world. I like nobody, nobody wants to get those batteries. The only place I've ever known to go get them is like Walmart in like the watch department or something. <laughs> like, I don't even know if that's right. Or like hearing aid battery mm. sections, right? Like sometimes. <laughs> I remember them being like behind the counter at some place. <laughs> yeah. Well, while we were researching this episode, I was just kind of looking through games on Board Game Geek that were classified as electronic, and mm-hmm. I stumbled across a game that I had never heard of before that I thought looked really cool. <laughs> it's called Voice of the Mummy, and it was published in 1971. So when I first saw it, I was kind of like, wait, how is a game from 1971 electronic, really? Like, that seems like they would be difficult to do. And I found out that it is actually a vinyl record player, a small vinyl record player in the middle of this game board underneath a mummy's sarcophagus. And so the mummy is talking to you throughout the course of the game, kind of like Escape the Curse of a Temple. At Mm. a certain point in the game, I think when somebody steals the gem Mm. or something, then you flip the record over and now (laughs) it's the race back out. And so it's kind of like an old school Escape the Curse of the Temple in a way. And I love the idea of a vinyl record player in a game. I don't know why, but that like, I now want to own a game that has a vinyl (laughs) record player in it. Yeah, and that's cool that it came with the record player. (laughs) Right? Like it was literally part of the game. And I actually just clicked on games that are linked with having as components vinyl records. And there are 23 different listings on Board Game Geek that list having a vinyl record as part of their components. Wow. So I I might be scrolling through this list and seeing if any of them are uh, worth trying to track down on the third party market. Because this sounds like a fun thing to have in my collection. Well, if you don't have a vinyl record player, though, maybe the other games might not have the player, right? That's true. <laughs> yeah, I definitely it would have to be part of the game. And these, some of them definitely don't necessarily look like yeah. that would be the case. Yeah, because that's the problem with like, like, like Escape Curse of the Temple, I wouldn't consider electronic because it, it comes with a CD, but you need a CD player separate from it. It's not... Right. So... <laughs> I just found one called Knuckle Busters from 1973. It's really similar looking to Rock'em Sock'em Robots, but... Oh, that's electronic. There's literally, <laughs> it came with a 45 record of ringside sound effects for atmospheric <laughs> purposes. That's freaking delightful. Wow. Like Hasbro published it and like you they didn't have to do that, but like they basically made Rock'em Sock'em robots with a with a soundtrack. Like that's <laughs> great. <laughs> and that's it for this week's board game blitz. Visit our website boardgameblitz.com for more content and links. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. The world of Midgard is about to get bigger because coming to Kickstarter soon are Clans of Midgard and Reavers of Midgard, the card game. And there's small box games, so you won't have to make too much room on your shelf. Plus, don't forget that as a Blitzketeer, you can get 10% off your entire order at grayfoxgames.com, including promos, exclusives, and upgrades not available anywhere else by using the code BGBLITZ2023 at checkout. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord for game nights, discussions, and more by following the link in the show notes. Support the show by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. 
And if you like us a lot and want to support us monetarily and get some cool perks, check out our Ko-fi at ko-fi.com slash boardgameblitz today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Until next time. On Board Game Geek, the most astounding thing. Game collections are growing. Most unusual, so peculiar. Bye, everyone. Bye. One quick episode. <laughs> we keep doing that. You keep having quick episodes before episodes. Wait, have I said that before? Is yeah, that I think you've said it before. Oh, gosh. I don't even remember now. Okay. I probably just remember from like listening to blooper compilations yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. Uh.